Welcome to the Hansa Conversations, where we discuss some ideas behind the Hansa therapeutic philosophy and other ideas around therapy, movement, and yoga practices as they relate to life in general. We welcome you, and we hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Hansa Conversations, um, a podcast, and I am Meta from Hansa, Indonesia, and today I'm joined by the founder and director of Hansa, Vincent Boleda. Hello, Vincent. Hey, hi, Meta. How are you doing? I am great. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I'm doing well. Nice afternoon. That's good. Yeah, it's quite a nice weather here too. So I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it. Well, those lazy but, Sundays. Um, not so lazy, but yes, Sunday is always good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Sunday true. is normally day for cleaning the house for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. Now, what are we talking about today? I think um, we let's talk about um, hands-on assistance. I feel like it's a topic that has become quite heated up in the last few years, obviously because there are cases that that, that people, a certain teacher misuse it. And I just want to have a discussion around that. I mean, do you use hands-on assistance in all these years of yoga and what is your view on hands-on assistance? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I suppose you have to take it right back to when I first began yoga, and at that time, hands-on assistance was part of the practice, and also it was, you know, something of uh, important technique to learn when you started yoga, how to hands-on assist, how to manipulate the students' bodies in the safest possible way into the position that um, you're encourage them to go or um, aspiring to and hands-on assist was sort of a uh, if you like a turbocharged way of getting people there quicker Mm. Um, do I use hands-on assist now yes I still do use hands-on assist I think I think it's still a very very valuable tool to have but uh, these days, I'm a little bit more discerning about hands-on assisting because there's a, a number of variables when I first began weren't discussed. And now, you know, with greater information and knowledge around many different topics about uh, people's physiology, people's emotionality, and obviously certain narratives that exist um, sometimes unconsciously within the practitioner and unknowingly within the teacher, um, hands-on assist now has become a little bit more um, more of an interesting topic, I suppose, is the way to go. And uh, but I still think it's a useful useful technique or approach. Uh, but there has to be a little bit more skill and intelligence why you want to why you want to be using hands-on. Do you see a difference between how the students? receptivity to hands-on assist throughout the years or is it changing I, I, I I'm asking because I wonder if now there is more apprehension towards hands-on assist compared to yeah. well, like that I, I th- yeah I, I think there is I think there's and rightly so I mean there's certain circumstances now that are dictating um, you know people's 
apprehensions, and one is obviously the coronavirus, that, which is quite an immediate, um, you know, and obvious situation that uh, dictates whether we touch people now or not, and it's and and the reasons why um, I think are important. But then again, um, you know, students have more knowledge now. Students also have a great understanding of, if you like, what is the practice of yoga. I think it's more of a supportive practice and, and students are wanting to feel more supported. Uh, in days gone by, it was a goal-orientated practice. And not to say that these things have changed. I think there's still, still these particular agendas within certain uh, styles that achievement of certain asana or posture is an important component to them and and hands-on assisting is something that enables them to get there quicker um, so they put more value on these situations uh, but i think as i said you know there is just more information uh, and that information is based upon functionality what is appropriate what isn't appropriate for the human body and I think more importantly, why are we doing yoga now? And and those those reasons have changed quite a lot as well. Um, this this just makes me think of it. Um, just coming back to the basics of how much hands-on assist helps us as practitioner. I obviously have received it and like really thankful sometimes with certain hands-on assist. Um, but now I'm thinking about it when we are giving certain adjustment to a person. Are we then making that person coming into maybe a position that is beyond their capability? Because, I mean, normally it's given to put somebody deeper into a certain position. Then are we actually imposing something mm. that the body's not ready or mm. is it yeah. helpful or not? I'm just wondering about that. Yeah, well, look, I think hands-on assisting is, is <laughs> like everything that we've discussed so far is multi-layered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hands-on assist can develop greater kinesthetic awareness uh, for the student. Hands-on assist can also uh, develop greater sensitivities uh, for the student. And the orientation of their habituations can be more illuminated as well through hands-on assisting. And sometimes a light touch is just as effective as, you know, or even sometimes I would say more effective than a forceful repositioning of, of one's limbs or one's body. Um, because ultimately what you're looking at as a teacher, you know, are there certain limitations structurally that, is going to inhibit the individual getting to the shape that you want them to be in. And, you know, is that shape important to that person? And, and if it is, why so? So these are some of the questions I would have uh, that I would put on myself. Mm -hmm. and, and then at the same time, uh, can we get that person to that place with minimal effort? Can, can we generate the, I suppose, the new position, can we develop a new orientation of their body through a gradual process where it's coming from them rather than from an external source and that may, may put them in a shape, you know, you know, you get them in the shape and, and, you know, and they struggle holding that shape or whatever it may be. But then once you 
remove your hands or once you remove your influence, they return back to where they were before. To me, then, that indicates that A, they're not ready physiologically. Uh, B, there might be other factors that are there that are limiting uh, their, their ability to achieve that position. And then if, if the person can't achieve them themselves, why would you want to force them into the shape? Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the practice is one where you're developing a level of understanding how to support your structure in a safe and in a supportive way. And also building, I think, the necessary physiological ability and muscular relationships and also coordination that you eventually will get there in your own time. And so forcing somebody into a situation, I think, doesn't take those factors into consideration. I think it actually bypasses them. And I think it creates a um, it creates conflict because it, there's two ways from this. You know, once you've established, okay, this is the safe shape you should be, I'll put you in that shape. The student can't hold that shape by themselves. They come out of it. What are they going to do next? They're going to try harder next time to get into that position. So it adds more effort and conflict, and and it puts a particular, I think, blueprint on their on their attitude, or or it, it places a certain degree of value more on the the shape that they can't get to rather than where they are now, mm-hmm. and where they are now needs to be defined more specifically for the student, and more and where they are now needs to be more put more valued on as well, mm-hmm. and so it's it's easy to create these. Uh, agitations, unnecessary agitations, because you're dealing with uh, a variety of expectations. One, the teacher's expectations, one, student's expectations. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, we can compound these expectations and we can essentially also create more discomfort because if you can't achieve what is expected of you, then there's a sense of failure to it. There, there is a sense of need to try harder, not good enough. Um, I need to practice more. So it, there's a lot of offshoots of agitation that comes from sometimes these particular hands-on relationships. And, and it doesn't also speak about uh, certain other uh, emotional conditions that I think are important to consider uh, because, you know, we bring all of ourselves into our, into our practice, both our physical body, our energetic and emotional, and any trauma that uh, has been, um, you know, felt through one's life. Yeah, I feel that um, it's, it's, well, hands-on or touch in itself is such an important learning tool for learning communication better between teacher and the student especially for teacher I think and I feel that I mean learning how to touch someone is a skill that doesn't just come easily for a lot of people you have to go through a process to see reaction of a person to know to to have more sensitivity around your hands and how to touch somebody because I definitely mm-hmm. learned from my mistakes. I've been I feel that in the past I've approached somebody mid posture and maybe that person's already like deep into her, her or his practice and then just a simple touch would startle that person. Then 
that so I learned through that process of learning to read and like knowing when it's it's okay not even to to touch any part that is sensitive but even to just place a hand on somebody and I feel that it then it becomes part of my 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 tool to to use hands as an uh, extension of of I guess what I'm trying to say or convey mm-hmm. in yeah, a way yeah, that look, words cannot reach you. Yeah, that's right. Words have a certain limitation, and I, I agree with that. And and touch expresses, you know, one's intentions more more clearly sometimes. And also, touch is, is a wonderful way of, of connecting to certain aspects of ourselves that words will never ever reach. Um, I think I, I still believe touch is a really important uh, component to the practice. I I. I do, though, think that we have to build uh, a particular framework that allows touch to eventually develop. Uh, There has to be a level of trust that emerges between the teacher and student. Uh, There has to be a level of transparency, I think, also. Um, And I think communication around why you want to be touching or why would hands-on be effective for this individual and that needs to be discussed. And then if if touch is not, um, you know, wanted by the practitioner, that's okay too. You know, that enables us to become more creative and then expressing what we need to express in different ways. Uh, but I still think touch is something that enables us to learn about ourselves really well. Our children learn through touch, they learn through, uh, you know, it's a non-verbal uh, communication touch, and, and they pick up a lot, a lot of signals through touch. They also pick up a lot of signals through body language. But touch helps one regulate our emotions, especially in children's emotions. We, we learn to be able to receive and give through touch, uh, and these are really essential ingredients within a yoga practice. Uh, and also touch enables us to uh, regulate our attitudes uh, around the certain difficulties. And so I still think this is a valuable uh, tool within the teacher's toolkit uh, to learn how to touch, learn how to use touch, but also learn when not to use touch. And then there's this other, other question that arises in my mind is that, you know, we're, we're we're thinking where the student is in the, in the position that they're holding, say, in a yoga pose, is somehow less of value than the position that we want them to aspire to. Mm. And there's, there's a difficulty there because it doesn't enable them to connect to the present moment of who they are and where they are and, and what has enabled them to get to that place and some of the choices also that have come with that. And so you have to be careful that you don't devalue the situation or the position that they're in now. And it's and if we can, can change the language to, you know, rather than, hey, you need to go deeper in your forward bend or, or whatever it may be, can the language be now about creating more sensitivity and intimacy to the body? Mm. Can it be about more coordination, you know, neuromuscular coordination? Can it, can it be better interoceptive relationships and sense that touch can establish, I think. And also, can it improve one's, you know, body interpretation as well? Because we all have these 
you know, mental kinesthetic gaps. And sometimes touch is a really nice way of enabling us to map our body more cleverly and, and, and with greater, um, you know, wholesomeness, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So there is, there, and you're right, you know, you learn through mistakes. And, and sometimes, sometimes I think that somehow, um, you know, being a yoga teacher or, you know, starting to practice yoga, that you can't make mistakes now. <laughs> you know? uh, it's, it's still a very dynamic relationship, and, and, and especially a dynamic relationship with you're having with yourself. And, and you're going to make mistakes in, in the way that you communicate with people, whether it be through touch or through language or through themes or through way you cue, cue yourself or cue the people. There's always going to be some, some level of somehow it's, it doesn't fit and the person that's listening or being touched, and, and you realize that maybe I needed to build a better uh, dialogue or connection to the dialogue that I was trying to create. And so I think it's important to make mistakes. I think it's fundamental to, to a teacher's growth. And as long as, as you can humble yourself to that, and then it's easy then if you do make a mistake is to you know own up to it and say, hey, Man, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. I will learn more now uh, about what what it's all about and how I can uh, be more of service to you or be more efficient in the way that I use myself. You know, that is more in in line or it resonates with the person that's in front of you. So there's there's yeah, I think there's a lot of learning, and a lot of learning comes with a lot of mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes yeah. in my yoga journey. Yeah. <laughs> so many that I lost count (laughs) well I hope you've learned from them too (laughs) well look you you can try and sometimes it takes a while Uh, you may have to make the the same mistake several times before you go oh yeah that's really silly Mm. I now know more than ever before from a deeper perspective because the mistakes that you make have to touch you on an emotional level for you to really create the transformation that you want you know there has to it has to be embodied you know deeply within your own self before you can recorrect to that mistake you know so there is there's a lot of sort of um, reflection i suppose or introspection around uh the the practice of yoga but more the teaching of the yoga as well hmm. related to this whole process of learning and i feel that we are constantly made to learn something new coming into yoga now teaching yoga in this world still within this pandemic or going forward post pandemic with this social distancing that we have to apply with people and how people Mm -hmm. are more wary of touch right i found that like i i I mean this is from your training what i learned is that it's, it's really good to get somebody to even use their own hands to assist themselves because a lot of people even our own hands can be feel quite foreign for people who are not used to even using hands to to uh, I don't know direct and point and feel sensations so I think that guiding students and using their own hands and guiding them on like how to feel pressure and application might help too in yeah. the process of teaching yoga here with this yeah, no, new social distance yeah. rule. Yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree with that. I think, I think you know, I teach that as well, as you know, you know, using one's own hands to 
sort of kind of become more um, connected to your body and but also more, more intimate with your body as well in terms of sometimes, you know, for whatever reason, you know, we don't want to touch ourselves and 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 that's an important ingredient because we take have to take ownership of our own physicality. Mm. We have to, and and it's a great way of learning. You know, you know there is there is many different barriers. One, as you just mentioned, you know, it's, you know, it's circumstantial. Obviously, that there is a greater now awareness, I suppose, to be close to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that will soon pass. So hopefully this doesn't become the norm because it would be sad if it does. Because, you know, touch either on yourself or touching somebody else creates a level of community. It creates a, a much more of a understanding of what it is to be human and, and all the layers that come with that. And that, you know, our relationship to ourselves is, is, is very much also important to the way that we relate to other people. And so if we're creating these social distancing relationships, um, then what are we doing to ourselves as well on a, on a psychological or attitudinal level? I think these are, these are questions that obviously there's no answers to and we can only wait and see and see what it eventuates from, from the current circumstance. But, you know, there's other obstacles as well. You know, there is obviously yeah, certain social uh, taboos as well. Some mm-hmm. societies, you know, don't advocate touch. There is either religious reasons or, or, or you know, just cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. And so you have to respect that. I mean, you have to respect that, uh, you know, quite an, uh, and it's an important component to the teaching of yoga uh, because it has to be relatable to everybody and so if the situation cannot change for whatever reason then it just makes us more as i said before it forces us to be more creative or at least it forces us to make the connection that we're we're wanting to for us to have and the person that's in front of us to have more relative to where they're coming from and you know, I've used and I've used many different. I've tried to use many different ways of communicating the information that relates to the person's religion, culture, or their general learning and understanding. So, and 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 I think in general it, it works well because it enables you then to to adapt. And we've spoken about how adaptation is a key component to be able to teach and share information because not everybody's on the same level as you. And that also goes into touch. Not everybody's on the same level of sensitivity or heightened sensitivity through your hands and to, to be able to, you know, touch people or, you know, make suggestions through touch. Mm. Uh, So I, I think, um, with with what you pointed out in terms of social distancing and coronavirus, I think it may add to the disconnect. Mm-hmm. It may, it may not. I, do, I don't know yet. Uh, interesting to see what happens. But I think, you know, as human beings, we will generally gravitate. We will gravitate back to each other again. Um, you know, I think I think social interactions is something that's important uh, for our for our psychology. Uh, I think it uh, it regulates it, and otherwise, you know, uh, 
you may see a, a rise in neurosis and neurosis and psychosis maybe. I totally agree with you. I feel that one thing that I miss the most from this last two months is just human touch, like just simple, even just shaking hand, not even hugging. I feel that, oh my God, wouldn't it be nice to actually be able to connect physically with another mm. person? I think that that is so important. But yeah. yeah, hopefully, I really hope that this doesn't become a norm for a long time, like at least just a short period of time, and we go back to hopefully learning how to connect with touch again with other people. Well, I'm I'm a I'm an optimist, <laughs> and so <laughs> I think I think it it, it will um, you know return back. Obviously, there'll be it'll be you know there'll be certain maybe it may help us um, be more understanding of how influential touch can be, both in terms of positive and negative. So this this may be a situation that helps us uh, regulate it better. Um, but then again, it, uh, it may not too. So, so now that there's this extra added uh, hurdle, you can use the word hurdle, uh, when it comes to connecting through touch, and some people might, even teachers now might be very uh, using hands-on assistance. Um, so we lose the opportunity to practice using our hands to help others. What can teachers do to, well, I guess first and foremost, understand the, I guess, the power of touch in terms of helping somebody or learning how to build sensitivity through through hands, through the palms and sending intention. What can somebody do at the moment to sort of practice that? Or uh, look, I think I, the touch is all about pressure, isn't it, really? And there's different uh, levels of pressure that you can apply through your hands. And, and they resonate in a slightly different way in terms from your neurological system and how they impact on your perception mm. and so um, I have heard in the past before that certain touch will stimulate certain layers of your physicality or even as so far down into your cellular system mm. depending on the pressure that you're applying and so if you take it from the, uh, the perspective of your nerve endings at your skin there are different nerve um, or nerves that are stimulated through different levels of pressure. So that, that gives you a different appreciation of your clothes on your skin or if there is a stronger pressure where you are in relationship to the object that you're, is being pressed against you. So it does, it does stimulate uh, certain kinesthetic relationships, especially spatial awareness. So to play with a different pressures that you can apply through touch. I think it's one way of developing better sensitivity and heightening one's uh, understanding of the impact of that touch as well. And you can do this on yourself. Um, also, when, when you think about a touch, and so there's different layers of pressure through touch, there's also, you can think about it from the perspective through voice there's different ways that you can utilize the pitch or tone of your voice mm -hmm. and each pitch will stimulate the nervous system with a person in different ways you know if, if I yell at you there will be a, a particular response if I talk softly to you there will be a particular response 
And so, uh, so touch is not like vo- like sound. Um, it creates certain vibrational or electrical currency. Uh, voice can do the same, I think. So if you are unable to touch, you can also start to learn how to regulate your voice and communicating a certain uh, subtleties. Or when you're wanting people to become more subtle, then you can modulate your voice in particular ways that orientates attention and also um, energetically organizes the person in front of you slightly differently. Mm-hmm. So modulation of touch is a really important, I think, learning the different tones to the touch, like learning the different tones to the voice are, is really important because then it enables you to have, again, more variety to your touch. Uh, and, and that variety, I think, uh, will support the different levels of learning that people come to you with and also levels, different levels of sensitivity you know, that people come to you with and potentially the different levels of, of you know, uh, or the different obstacles that are presented to you uh, from an emotional perspective that come to you when, when you're teaching. So I think the regulation of pressure is really something good to learn. I, I really like how you compare that to to sound, to different pitches, to regulation of a voice. And I, I wonder if now in this day and age with this awareness around hands-on assistance, uh, whether the verbal part of assistance is even more important. So, so with the touch, there's always clear communications. Like you said in the beginning of, of this conversation, how we have to be very clear uh, with the intention of why are we using hands-on assistance. But even mm-hmm. now more than ever, I wonder if the verbal part might have to be included with every hands-on assistance for a while until that trust is built until that there's sort of that understanding of why we're using hands-on assistance because I, I feel that when it's just touch intention for somebody who's sensitive they can really feel intention right away and <clears throat> and just because it's is not verbally heard it can be misrepresented in a different way whether because of past histories or whatever that is yeah look i think i think you know building that level of trust or building a a relationship that is mutually respectful i think is is really important um because you know this journey is 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 a shared journey uh between teacher and student and in, in many respects as we've mentioned in the past before you know, we have to take ownership of our choices and we have to take ownership of also our goals and desires, whatever that may be. And so a lot of it is the, the clear communication is also establishing clear guidelines that the student is responsible for themselves and that you're giving them the permission you know, to make that call or you're giving them the opportunity to vocalize what they need and want at the same time, what they don't like. But then at the, then in the other respect, you also have to create a, a relationship that it's not just one way. And there has to be a, um, a shared responsibility. Um, you have certain information that you're wanting to impart that you think 
will be useful, that is supportive. And the only reason why you think it may be supportive and useful is because of your practice and your knowledge of it and uh, your experience as well. Uh, and then what you do is, is you, you make suggestions along the way. You encourage a dialogue. And this is both verbal and through uh, touch. Mm-hmm. And so it, this dialogue is important. So, and I think it's a great idea that when you're touching somebody is to also talk to them about it. Yeah. And so, so there is, um, you know, that, that, that I think anchors the situation initially, both for the teacher and student. And, and if the touch is conflicting with what you're saying, and then that's very telling, very, very telling, um, because what you're saying and also what you're doing with your hands have to be uh, in resonance with each other. And in some respects, as a teacher, as you're talking your students through it, you're reminding yourself what the touch needs to be, it, because you start to embody those words, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, if not, then then there's a certain degree of hypocrisy there as well. So, so I think I think it's a great idea, Meta, talking and touching at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think as I, I know that a lot of I feel that whenever a teacher comes to class, a lot of responsibilities are on the teachers. But as students, I think I just want to remind that if any student in the class also have the responsibility upon their own body, and mm. it goes both ways, that dialogue can come as well from the student as yeah. that person is receiving hands-on assistance. Look, I, I read a, a quote um, on their reputable um, social media uh, site, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember. General. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember who who it was, but it was quite a renowned teacher. He lives in the states. He used to one of the students of Krishnamacharya, mm. and he's and, and he read a quote from one of the potentially sutras. I could be wrong. I can't remember exactly. No, I don't think it was. So don't please don't quote me on that. But he said the only thing between student and teacher is the sharing of knowledge, and that's it. And I really like that quote. I really like it because it defines the relationship immediately. Mm-hmm. I have some information, you know, that I think will be useful and that's what, you know, and I'm going to use certain tools to impart that information. There is nothing more, there is nothing less, and that's it. And for me, that really defines how a teacher should be approaching uh, the whole process of the practice with the students because it can get very convoluted and it can become a rabbit hole uh, when there are certain um, aspects to it where our narratives start to dictate these conversations. And when I say narrative, sometimes we don't know we're in them. There's mm. this level of, of transference of subconscious narratives onto our students or the students onto the teacher. I think it works both ways. That's why when I say student needs to take responsibility because it's easily, it's easy to shift certain subconscious narratives onto your teacher, whatever they may be. And within those narratives comes expectations. 
And so it's a fine line to walk, you know, and that's why I say making mistakes is, is an important relationship as long as you're you're humble and and, and you're earnest and there is a, a level of commitment between making a better world. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you're devious and what have you, then you know, we, it's easy to manipulate uh, relationships and positions which I don't advocate. Um, so there, there's a when we're having a, a respectful dialogues, there's a purity to that, there's an honesty to that, and I think this is essential. Um, but yeah, I feel that when when it comes to approach related to hands-on assistance, I quite well. I guess first I come from yoga education background where first I I always we're taught or I was taught to use verbal assistance first verbal instruction how to mm. help the student to access whatever they need to access and then only then if they they don't understand it just to contrast it then come in using the touch so then the touch is obviously quite intentional and probably considered quite minimal which which i think that's how you use your touch so quite simple really the way you Mm. you use hands-on assistance to help somebody and I think that's that's quite important to keep in mind as well, because I know that there are people who believe quite an extra amount of effort in using physical hands-on assistance to help somebody come into certain or access certain poses or certain ability. And I feel that it doesn't have to be that much, because mm. like, like what we've talked about for many episodes, I think while keeping it quite simple, it's actually quite profound on how you can assist somebody with just a simple yeah. touch. Yeah, look, look, there's there's you know a couple of things I want to say around that. Sometimes students don't have the same degree of sensitivity to the touch that you're applying. So there is there is this sort of kind of no man's land that ends up appearing and they sit in it. They don't really understand what you're doing, especially if the touch is too subtle. Right. And so you, you have to then cultivate that level of sensitivity uh, for those students. And that takes time, you know, and that takes with, with uh, getting the students to appreciate more from a physical perspective, you know, their movements um, and encouraging greater sensitivity to the movements. It's almost like asking people to slow down you know, when they're eating so they can taste more. So the movement is the same. You slow your movement down and you can be more present to the sensations that are rising. And you're really, what you're doing is orientating their attention to more the subtle stimulus or sensations that are arising. They sometimes are camouflage or, you know, there's too much noise from the gross actions of our body. And sometimes we also have students that have come from, you know, uh, modalities that use strong touch. And they've basically been taught to to really put more value on strong touch and not light touch. So their whole focus Mm. or what they gravitate their attention to is the strong stimulus. So anything that's less than that, there's no value to them. Um, So you have to then develop that level of intelligence and education that touches is, is multi-layered there's many pressures to touch and each and, and, and those pressures have certain consequences and sometimes it's just about reorientating 
the student's level of attention. Um, and that takes a bit of time. And, you know, if you get into that position where there's conflict between your touch and the student, where there's like, you know, I've had this in the past before, I really don't feel anything. That's okay too, because it's not the right time. There isn't the right circumstances. Maybe we need to maybe have waited. Uh, We needed to develop a greater understanding of what the practice that I've been encouraging the students to do to take hold, to slowly develop and reorientate and recalibrate uh, both their attention, their their value system around their body, and also around what uh, sensations need to also be considered and not negated. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is that you mentioned about, you know, you came from a background of first, you know, walking people through language to where they need to be and then, you know, slowly introducing touch if there was mm-hmm. some level of misunderstanding. I came from, you know, the traditional practice, if you want to call it that, when the f- yoga first came out, and the, the touch was quite forceful. Mm. It was very manipulating the, of the physical structure, you know, and I've learned through, uh, you know, uh, making mistakes through basically injuring people, which is sad to say from my perspective. Um, but, you know, I know now better um, through those mistakes uh, the potential harm that touch can do. Now, that was on a physical level, but uh, you know, we have even touched upon the emotional or psychological level that some of, these, some of these practices can create in terms of discomfort and agitation. Mm-hmm. And so, but I didn't know any better. I was, uh, you know, I was a young student and teacher, or wanting, and so I emulated my teachers who were adjusting people in ways that I think, uh, you know, at now, looking back, weren't really supportive of, of the individuals. Mm-hmm. Not at all. You know, they were just um, imposing a particular belief system or value system uh, onto them. And, and, that, and that was, you know, now looking back, that wasn't yoga. You know, that was just an, some disciplinarian indoctrination of what the body needed to be, which was which was another, you know, another form of um, discipline, <laughs> you know, and yoga is supposed to mean freedom in some respects. Um, but, yeah, as I said, we learn through our mistakes. I, when you were talking just now, I remember what I wanted to discuss earlier, um, is that you mentioned earlier that in 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 this uh, teacher student relationship sometimes unconsciously there's transference that happens and a lot of them can be triggered through touch i think yes so in both position like i guess let's start talking about teacher first if we suddenly realize that 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 is happening what can we do to I don't know what's the word, but do we create boundary again? And yeah, well, I, I've, got, I've I've tried to create boundaries for myself, and I usually ask a couple of questions uh, uh, before I do move towards communicating that I want to 
put hands on. And first question that I put to myself, you know, can I get this person to become more connected to whatever part of their body that I'm wanting them to connect to Mm. in a way that I don't need to touch? Mm. And then is my language um, appropriate to enable them to, in time, understand this part of their body? Am I giving them enough uh, space for them to figure it out for themselves? Because I'd rather them figuring it out for themselves, you know? Yeah. And then if I can give that that level of space, then, then I don't need to touch, you know? So, and in most cases, you don't really need to touch, I think. Mm. But I think also, too, it's somewhere along the line, because of our subjectivities, Touch can clarify and more specifically some of some, sometimes we just don't know some of the confusions that we may have in our bodies, you know. Mm. And so I give first enough space, and and that space enables them to explore. That exploration will build into a conversation of trust. That will build into a conversation that eventually that. Uh, touch may be used at some stage or another, which is will be spoken about. Um, I think it just takes time, you know, mm. to to build the platform for the full scope of one's tools to be utilised. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and we're just in a rush sometimes, you know. Mm. Now, in saying that, if people come to me for rehabilitative purposes, I make it well known to them that touch is utilized Mm. um, because it's a rehabilitation process and I need to um, encourage specifically the area that's inflamed or it's in pain. I know touch is very useful to recalibrate both the neuromuscular system, but also start to release some of the bracing and compensatory actions that happen. So there is, there's already a framework that's set up, it's rehabilitative, that touch is used. You know, it's part, of, it's part of the rehabilitative process, it's part of the session. In the yoga class, it's slightly different. The agendas are slightly different. The reasons why people are there are slightly different. So touching maybe needs to take a little bit longer to get to. But when it comes to, because part of the body work, part of the work that I do in rehabilitation is body work. So it's already an unwritten contract. This is what it's going to be. But in saying that as well, there's communication around it. And, and, you know, there is specific relationships that we build within that session. Why would I want to touch this area or what have you? Uh, And the reasons behind it. Um, so it depends on, on, on the circumstance. Um, and so with the class scenario, it's a transient situation. People come and go. You don't know who they are really. Uh, so you just have to treat a bit more carefully and, and, and give yourself some space. Yeah, very important. I'm going to yeah. wrap this conversation up. Um, conversation up. But I, 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 I'm agreeing with you with what you said before that touch is such a powerful tool of communication, and I like, and sometimes it is just necessary. And even in my own practice, sometimes like my body responds differently when I give assistance. 
to myself or just uh, rehab myself with touch mm. is just important and I don't think it, 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 it I think it just should be a part of this practice called yoga as well yes I, I, I would agree with that statement as well and uh, I do have I'm not sure if I'm able to articulate this well today but I do have this thought because you 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 can't apply a technique like touch as an example in the moment that is presented to you it doesn't necessarily mean that it's no longer useful to you or it shouldn't be negated it may be useful in a different moment in time with that person depending upon the relationship that's been established and sometimes you know and we we can societally move energetically to negate certain certain things that I think are fundamental and functional to us for evolutionary and psycho and emotional and psychological development and touch is one of them you just have to learn how to use it well how we have to learn to use it in ways that fits the situation and you know I, I read somewhere about you know you know, touch can can heal and touch can hurt. Yeah. It's a it's it, it's it's like fire. You know, fire can burn your house down, but fire can cook a really nice meal. Or heat, you know, generates is generated by fire it can cook a really nice meal. And it's the same with touch. Learn how to use it. Learn how to use it well, because if you're able to regulate it, you know the pitfalls, you know the dangers of touch but you also know the benefits of touch, you'll be able to utilize it in ways that actually will benefit people. But you've got to learn how to use it. It's a tool. And like any tool, you know, like a hammer, a saw, or what have you, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you've got to learn how to use it first before you go and try and build a house or cut a piece of wood or whatever it is that you're going to do. So I think these are really important things to understand. Yeah, and it takes practice, like any other tool. Exactly, exactly. Great. Thank you, Vincent. I think, well, this has been a great conversation. Um, and hopefully hopefully we can go back to not being too social distant. <laughs> as long as you wear your mask and rubber gloves, you're fine. There you go. There you go. That might be the future of one-on-one therapy. You know that? (laughs) I don't don't think so. I don't think so. But everything will pass, as as it always does. Yes. Great. All right. Thank you, Vincent. You're welcome. Thank you, Meta. Thank you to our listeners. Have a awesome Sunday. Thank you. And yes. Thank you, everybody who's listening. Uh, We'll see you again in the next episode. You've been listening to Hansa Conversations, a podcast. Please follow Hansa Yoga on Instagram and Facebook. Learn more about Hansa at hansa.yoga on the web, where you can also purchase online practice videos to practice at home. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to get updates on our latest news. So join us on the next Hansa Conversations. And thank you for listening.